Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello, and you are very welcome along to this week's We Love Movies. Coming up, we will be reviewing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Try saying that fast. I keep thinking it's going to be called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but it's in. He's definitely in it. And we'll be getting into that film along with all the big movie stories from the week and what's worth watching on the small and big screen over the course of the month of May. So that's all to come very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Hello, and you're very welcome to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. I'm joined as always by Olivia Fahey, Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll. Good to have you all here. Fast X, it's the story that keeps on giving because... uh, you might remember we were discussing how Justin Lin, he decided that's it. I've had enough of this. I, I I can't work under these conditions anymore. And it's come to light that he's could lose the best part of between 10 and 20 million for exiting stage left on the 10th Fast and Furious film. But Andy, by all accounts, more news has come to light as to, as to the reason why he has departed this 10th installment. Yeah, there was a statement released saying that he values his mental health over doing this film, which is basically a nice way of saying, I cannot listen to Vin Diesel say any more nonsense and pretend he's making this film. The fact he lasted five films in that environment is very impressive because he's someone who has shown through his career that he can make other films. He doesn't need them. A lot of the, well, the majority of the fast cast aren't doing anything outside of the movies and those who kind of come in and tend to be one, maybe two and done and then break off. You can see with The Rock, Jason Statham. So I'm curious to see more behind the camera now than in front of the camera of what actually went on because you hear these little niggles of Vin Diesel and his out of control ego. I think there's definitely a Heart of Darkness documentary there to be made on the Fast Saga and that's the film I want to see as opposed to, you know, cars going into space or time traveller superheroes as Chris's theory was. Well, here's the thing, though, if we cast our mind back to was it about now two years ago when Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Chris, uh, called Vin Diesel out, didn't implicitly say his name, but he did call uh, there are certain uh, members of the team, uh, uh, sort of candy ass and paraphrasing here that just weren't professional. And I think Dwayne was really alluded to the fact that somebody was, was showing up to the set on their time as opposed to the allotted time and that would keep everyone waiting. And this seems to be behavior that is prevalent with Vin Diesel, because this has also come to light that he's been showing up to to set late, according to an inside source on the set of Fast X, that Vin Diesel is back to his old tricks. And I find that kind of odd, Gordon, because what else does Vin Diesel do aside from Fast and Furious? So is he not always there? Is he not so heavily involved? I mean, I was thinking of him as almost, you know, this Kevin Costner like figure with these films like you know is he breeding down directors next is it, does it is it Vin's way and and no one else's way at all I I I I would love as Andy you know I, I think we should maybe you know put a petition out we want to see a documentary about the making of these films because I think that would be the real entertainment here and by all accounts you know we're getting snippets of stories here about uh you know a, a quote unquote a major disagreement how you know Justin Lin said that making this movie whatever it was going to be whatever is he on five or six at this stage it was not worth his mental health to stay on this film 
whatever happens next, I wish Louis Leterrier, I hope I'm pronouncing his name there uh, correctly, uh, the, the, the best of luck because this is the Vin Diesel show. And by all accounts, you know, but which, and it's weird because his co-stars seem to really like him. Aside from Dwayne Johnson, everyone seems to have really nice things to say about uh, Vin Diesel, including Michelle Rodriguez and Helen Mirren. So there, there has to be something there, I hope. I hope they're not, you know, being, you know, I hope no one's like being, you know, held at gunpoint, say nice things about the guy behind this franchise. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to what it what happens on set after, you know, when they start having those creative discu- dis- discussions, what happens after the director uh, yells action? D- d- does a monster take hold? It's a weird, weird story. It's very weird. And Chris really- kind of alluded to something there as well that you were saying like about Kevin Costner, he's essentially directing behind the scenes in the, the, the piece on the Hollywood reporter where there was mentioned about the potential of Vin Diesel directing, stepping in and directing the film. It had a reference to that. It's contractually, he cannot direct this film. So I'm wondering what, that kind of little clause in the contract is, is this wow. is something that's been brewing before where he's tried to take over and they said, look, you cannot step in and direct the film. Which is a shame so because I, I think, I, I, sorry to cut across you, Andy, but I think it would be so entertaining to watch it because, you know, do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where, where Mel Gibson asked Homer for help with a film and Homer ended up directing the <laughs> film? That is, that is the kind of Fast and Furious that we would get if Vin Diesel directed it. And you know what? I think I would like to see that. I would like to see it as well. It just sounds like if he's already trying to direct from behind the scenes, it's just a case of like, just give it to him, let him scratch the itch. And when it falls flat on its face, then it's like, okay, you tried. Well, now shut shut the hell up. Well, see, I think Justin Lin feels like a broken man because he's also co-wrote the script. Uh, Fast X would have been his sixth film as director and he was, you know, the, the strong pair of hands behind the scenes. Granted, the ninth film had just completely gone off the, the reservation altogether, but you're kind of hoping that by Fast X, uh, Fast X, you know, uh, the 10th film, that he, things would kind of get back to some sort of reasonable formula again because it just kind of folded in on itself and became a bit of a parody but I really feel sorry for Justin Lin because you know a lot of hard work has gone into this Olivia he's put his heart and soul into it and now Louis Leterrier has been brought in and his back catalogue is spotty to say the least a couple of transporter films in there now you see me Uh, he did the Incredible Hulk which wasn't great but he always feels like I don't know like he he doesn't re- he doesn't set my world alight. He just feels like a little bit of a hack for hire in the same mold as people like Ruben Fleischer, uh, DJ Caruso, these type of directors that are there to call lunch. And I just don't think they really leave a bit of an imprint. But in the end, he's probably only just being drafted in just like a cop to direct traffic. Yeah, it almost seems a bit like he was the only one free <laughs> to do it because as much as they were saying that, that it was a hotly contested, you know, job job opening, um, I really don't think it was. I'd say the reputation for working on those films has gone around Hollywood and that Vin Diesel's notoriety for not showing up on time to either be it on set or from rumours that I've heard, uh, not even showing up on time for junkets. I believe he left people waiting up to six hours for a junket once. So like it's, it's a habit that he has and that the team, I think, should be aware of it by now and maybe even trying to work around is like give him a start time six hours prior when he'll show up on time and everybody else will be like okay so we showed up at the the time that you know we were actually told to which was six hours later than what he was told to you know the kind of way like for me that's what I think they should be doing um but yeah like Louis what I found the most interesting <laughs> from his back catalog was that he worked on the Dark Crystal which was on Netflix back in 2019 and of course that was like trying to coordinate a lot of puppeteers and puppets and voice actors and all that type of stuff 
And for some reason, that just clicked with me. I'm like, that's why he got the job. He's used to puppeteering a load of people. And essentially, I think that's what the Fast franchise is at this point. It's just trying to like move everybody into place and just make sure that they stay there and say their lines. Like, come on, it's genius. Now, speaking of uh, the, the musical chairs when it comes to directors, John Watts, who... I think people might have realized that this is the guy that helmed the, the recent Spider-Man movies because they're such big affairs. And his name hasn't really gone into A-list territory there, but his name has definitely got, garnered an awful lot of more prominence since Spider-Man No Way Home became the juggernaut that it has at the box office. And he was going to segue from that straight into Fantastic Four. And they had been laying these breadcrumbs for Fantastic Four over the course of a, uh, the, the Spider-Man movies in particular. The, I think the... I think it was the was the first one they kind of let a, a, a breadcrumb for uh, Fantastic Four. Anywho, he's now decided, Andy, that he's not going to direct. And they've put out a, a press release, Kevin Feige has. And it, this to me seems like this has all been very well orchestrated and managed because the press release goes something along the lines that John is essentially burnt out with superhero movies and just needs to take a bit of a breather. Here's a theory I have about it. The one actor that everybody would love to see play uh, Dr. Reed Richards as Mr. Fantastic is John Krasinski. I think uh, all all the Marvel fans are just seem to be all in agreement. Yet he's the guy for the gig. He would be perfect. So there's universal love for good Al Krasinski. Could it be a case that behind the scenes, Feige has gone to John Watts and said, listen, we've got Krasinski. He's on board, but he wants to direct. And we need you to do us a bit of a a favor on this one, uh, John, uh, John Watts. And maybe you exit stage left. We give give it to Krasinski to direct and we'll bring you back into the fold at a later date. Could that be a case or is the Marvel machine now so encompassing that whatever they say goes? Because you got to remember when he was working on Spider-Man, it was a Sony co-production. So maybe he had a little bit more leeway, but now working for Marvel. You have to do it their way. What, what way do you see this going in, in terms of his departure? Just to, uh, a couple of points. I don't think John Krasinski will be directing uh, the Fantastic Four movie. I think these are kind of so encompassing movies. I don't think they're going to make uh, an issue where you have the, the star and the director as the same person. I think there's too many moving parts in that machine to not focus on just one part. And Feige himself likes to be in control behind the scenes. So I can't see them handing over that much power, especially something like Krasinski. It's different. It was like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or someone like that, who's like a huge A-list star that will be the draw. I don't think John Krasinski is much of a draw himself. This is one of the few times where I think it, it can be taken at face value. Like it's easy to forget. John Watts had only made two films before Spider-Man and one of them hadn't even come out yet, but very low budget films. And from, I got the chance to interview him as well before Spider-Man and he's very much of that indie sensibility of that storytelling and I think taking up pretty much the majority of a career essentially being told what to make I think he does feel creatively burnt out I think the person that's going to go to I think is Peyton Reed who directs the the Ant-Man movies who have been publicly you know fr- from the moment he was given the Ant-Man gig said I don't want this I want the Fantastic Four one so I can see if Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania does well and if they're happy with the outcome and the box after that I can see him stepping up and taking that because Marvel pretty much like to keep things in house and we've seen this year you know Sam Raimi with Doctor Strange and Chloe Zell with the Eternals when they go for those kind of big A-list directors it doesn't necessarily work out because it's, it's a mix of kind of 
the creativity and the you know, the expression of story that the directors like to do, as opposed to you know the Marvel method where you know, sit there, shut up, and move on to the next one. And make sure you set up the next five movies and TV shows while you're there. Hey, Chris, Olivia, about yourselves, you hear the story about John Watts. Do you think Andy is right in that? Yeah, there's actually nothing to see here. It's a it's a genuine, legit press release that you put that they put out there. Or is there more going on behind the scenes? Olivia, start with you. What do you think? Well, I actually think you might be onto something there just purely because it is something that Krasinski has wanted to get into more is directing. So maybe because like he knows that the fans want him to play the role. So if he's kind of just like, all right, if the fans really want me to do this, then and I really want to go into directing more, then here's a compromise. So I can sort of see where you're going with that. I do sort of think that poor John is probably just a little bit burnt out because like he took on like quite a lot um, with those films. So yeah, I think it's, I think it is also understandable. Whatever the truth may be, it's one of those things that when it happened, I was kind of like, oh my God. And then went, oh, well, actually, do you know what? (laughs) I don't really know why I'm actually surprised. I kind of, I think the writing was maybe a little bit on the wall that, you know, him wanting to take a break because there's a lot of people taking breaks now after (laughs) Spider-Man. So you'd kind of wonder like with the the filming schedule and and the press schedule as well, because they did a lot of press for that film also. So it's kind of understandable that he might want to take a little bit of a... uh, a step back but um for me i actually think brad bird who did the incredibles i heard a wee little bit of a rumor that he's being lined up to take over um on fantastic four so while i do think it would be a lovely sort of transition for peyton reed to go into it i if they do announce that it's brad bird i would be totally on board with that i think he's proven himself to be quite a skilled director and giving him the Marvel opportunity and still kind of keeping it in house because he's done a lot of work with Pixar. You know, I think it would be a, a pretty good, good shot, actually. That'd be a real good slam dunk. With the great respect to Peyton Reed, I just don't see him adding. I don't know. It's just that that extra little level of finesse that Brad Bird would get. I think you get more of an emotive quality with Brad Bird as opposed to Peyton Reed. I think Peyton Reed kind of like. He's like an IP, IKEA flat pack of a man. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he's the nuts and bolts. He'll put it all together for you. But I just don't think he'll leave a real signature where someone like Brad Bird would. What about you, Chris? How do you see this whole thing playing out? Yeah, I think I might park my cynicism and, and, and say that John Watts, you know, he probably does need a break. And maybe he doesn't want to be making the same sort of films over and over. I mean, there is still that, you know, Sony, the, the, the lads of Sony are hopeful that John Watson, the entire Spider-Man cast will return for another Spider-Man film. I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. You know, it would be pretty hard to, to top uh, uh, No Way Home, but he has dedicated the last 10 years of his life to this project. And maybe he doesn't want to be, you know, the David Yates of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, Yates at this stage, all he does is make fantastic movies and Harry Potter films. And, you know, he's handsomely rewarded for that. You know, it's, he's, he's sitting on a, on, 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 a, on a fortune as a result of that. But as a storyteller, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of bankrupt these days. And, and maybe John Watts, you know, he wants to go back to, you know, telling his own stories. Because before he landed the Spider-Man gig, as Andy said, he just had two films in his pocket. One of which, again, Andy said, you know, it hadn't been released yet. And he made a horror film and a thriller. And maybe he wants to go back to making smaller films and maybe he's had interest from studios that will actually pay to, you know, release a film written and directed by John Watts that doesn't involve superheroes. So I, I would like to think that, look, everyone's everyone's fine here. He's just taking a bit of a break. And also very quickly, directing a Fantastic Four film is a bit of a gamble. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it hasn't been done right <laughs> numerous yes. times. 
So I, I think, you know, that might be a bit of a tricky project. And if you're coming away from one of the biggest films of all time, the lot, you know, you want to take risks, but the last thing you want to do is, you know, t- you know, take on a risk like Fantastic Four. Yeah, it hasn't fared well at the box office at all. The, 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 all the outings have just been less than stellar. And just to move on, Avatar, where the, the trailer, we've all had a chance to see it. I got to be honest with you now, I was... The first, when I, first, when I saw the first trailer to the first Avatar movie, I was a bit underwhelmed, but I was like, oh, this is all the fuss for it. And then I went and I saw Avatar and I genuinely did become caught up in it. But the weird thing is that I'd never had a big desire to go watch it again. And I tried to go back and watch it again recently on Disney Plus and I got into it. And then I, I think whatever, I had to stop it after about half an hour, I had to do something else. And I, God, I wasn't running back to watch it again. I'm looking at the, the 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 sequel trailer and I'm going, yeah, it's more of the same, but just with water. Andy, I'm kind of going, I don't know if we're going to be going to be <sighs> just I just really kind of feel like I don't know if they're, if the audience is going to be clambering to see um, Avatar 2 because there's nothing in this trailer that makes me think, oh, my God, this is a cut and above the first film, which came out now like like thir- uh, 13 years ago. Yeah, and I think it was one of those where you're watching it and if you'd have told me this is all clips from the first film, I would have believed you. And you're saying, oh, there's this incredible immersive world like we were showing up before the, the Doctor Strange screening. And then you watch that and then the next trailer was for Thor, uh, Love and Thunder. And I'm looking at it, looks like a far more exciting world than the one you've just shown me. It basically just looks like, a, you know, those 3D screenings they used to have years ago where you, you, know, you go in and watch a 10-minute thing about, you know, under the ocean or about sharks. It looks like that. The one thing you've said there that I think will actually help it is its mediocrity, is the fact that nobody really feels strongly either way about it. Like, you don't feel someone who absolutely hates Avatar and you don't meet anyone that absolutely loves Avatar. So I think it'll get box office on that side because no one's coming into it with any kind of strong feelings either side. So it's not as if you have you know just the hardcore fan base with something like you know, the Snyder Cut or the Marvel movies where people will just you know cultishly follow them to the ends of the earth i think it's one of those films that everyone will kind of go oh yeah no i'll see it out of curiosity so i can see it doing far better than you know people who are you know hardcore film fans like me say like myself and yourself that think it will and it's one of those cases where it, it'll inexplicably make a large amount of money it's the, the tom hardy effect i call it where people go and see him no matter how bad his last 10 films were <laughs> well here's the thing as well chris like over the years people have tried to write off uh, James Cameron and I think Andy only had said it last week write Cameron off at your peril should we should we should we be writing him off now at this point because with, with this trailer I know there's not an awful lot to go on like it's still a teaser trailer in the end of the day but do you really think that this is going to do anything revolutionary that we haven't seen before I, I, I don't know I would like to think I mean it is uh... It's a tradition at this stage of a James Cameron film to say, oh, well, this is going to suck. This is going to lose an awful lot of money. James, what has James Cameron done? You know, what's he, what's he at? Is it, 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 you know, is his ego bigger than his talents? And, and then, and then he always proves us wrong by either, you know, releasing something like Titanic, which is a technical marvel, releasing Terminator to one and two, which, you know, the greatest science fiction films ever made, and then releasing Avatar, which goes on to become the biggest film ever made, despite the fact that no one can really remember what happened to this. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, all signs point towards a bit of a dud. Uh, the, you know, I, I don't believe that it was a case of waiting for the technology to catch up with James Cameron. And that's why, you know, it took so long. I don't believe it was, you know, the, the, the fact that they were actually shooting underwater, uh, all of the, the, the special effects involved in this. It, I, I, I think maybe 
that, you know, this film wasn't supposed to be a franchise. And maybe that's why it's taken so long. You know, it sounds a bit tr- difficult. It sounds a bit tricky. And also that title doesn't inspire me with confidence. But again, it's just this thing. We can't write him off. He's shown us time and time again that, you know, he's that, that he's capable of surprising us. So I don't know who's going to go see this film. Probably everybody. But I will say one thing. On last week's show or a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the fact that that Christmas Marcus at the box office, it was going to be a little bit crowded because you had the second Aquaman. You had a couple of other things. Aquaman has since jumped to 2023. So as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andy and Olivia, I think Avatar The Way of Water has Christmas all to itself. Ooh. Yeah, actually. I think it could. So there you go. So that's two or three weeks where everyone's off what will we go see? Well, there's that, you know, there's a big new 3D spectacle at the cinema. Let's go to that. That could be that could be the way in now for Cameron to make a fortune with this film. Now, just to kind of stay with all things Disney, the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. We've gotten a longer one now, Olivia. I gotta say, I'm quite I'm excited by this one now. Initially, I was a bit like, oh God, how is this gonna play out? But it looks like there could be a meaty story here. And I think we're only getting something like, is it four, six episodes, something like that? Yeah, I think it's only six episodes long. And oh, that new trailer, like, made the fourth be with you all and also with you, Disney, because that trailer, <laughs> because you also got to see, like, a lot of characters who had been hinted at or a lot of actors and you didn't know who they were going to play yet. So it looks like, um, oh, what is his first name? Andy would know because he interviewed him and Salma Hayek for Eternals. Uh, Nanjiani, I forget his first name, mm. but he. Um, Camille, thank you. Um, it looks like he's going to be playing a Jedi who is on the run because there's a very short snippet of him in the trailer and it looks like he's wearing very similar Jedi attire that Obi-Wan would have worn as well. So was very excited to see that. But yeah, it looks like they're, they're actually you know, putting together a genuine story to justify uh, making this series, which I'm absolutely delighted with because like, there was so many years that Obi-Wan was just there and he wasn't just sitting in a hole like in the cave or something like that, meditating for the entire like couple of decades and whatever. So I think, you know, them giving the, him the chance to show a bit more of like what he actually got up to, a bit more about the uh, the Inquisitors as well, because that's a, an aspect that was in, uh, I was about to say the Clone Wars, but no, it's not that one, it was Rebels, that uh, was a real draw for fans as well. So getting to explore that aspect a little bit more and sort of see, you know, what happens when they catch you. Um, I think is a great way to tie it in with uh, with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And what they've done also is, is that in this trailer, when they say, oh, I want all the bounty hunters to be like tapping into his life, we need to find Obi-Wan. And I think this is how, if they are going to do it, this is how they're going to tie in Black Kersantan, who you saw in uh, the book of Boba Fett, because in the comics, he actually kidnaps Owen Lars and Obi-Wan Kenobi is the one that rescues him. And that's how Kersantan actually gets the big red sort of scar across his eye. So I think that's also going to be a segue into it. If they don't do it, all right, fair enough. Uh, but if they do, then they've they've set it up quite nicely for that to be another storyline included. I can't wait just to sit down and watch it over and over and over again and dissect all of the little Easter eggs for it because it's just going to be so enjoyable. Well, it seems like Star Wars now lives on the small screen, Chris. Like, do you ever think that we're going to get the big screen treatment anytime soon? 
I'm not sure because every time, uh, you know, the, the, the lads at Lucas or Disney uh, uh, try to make a new Star Wars film, they're, they're trying to make something in between stories, you know, filling gaps over, over two hours. And, and the stories don't, they, they don't lend themselves well at this time. I'm not sure why that is at the minute to two hour films or they try and, you know, say, oh, well, this trilogy is going, we're, we're just going to add on to an existing trilogy. It doesn't work. Making these little, you know, events television series are you know i actually thought that was weird about the trailer where it said a six-part event it's like it's almost like disney saying it's not a television series it's not a film it's just it's an event it's just a star wars event enjoy it making these things they seem to be going down a little bit better with fans because there's there's a bit more time there to you know to flesh out the characters to to tell a proper story uh that you, you can have a bit more fun with us uh for you know the uh, uh maybe like actors like you mcgregor are actually drawn to kind of you know stories where they'll they'll, they'll have a little bit of time to actually explore this because again with this character he, he wasn't just sitting around in the cave for decades you know just until until uh, 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 Alan McGuinness w- 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 was going to play him it, you know there, there, there is a story there so I think maybe this is the way to go although saying that you know there Kenobi has, has well to give it its original title that has been years in development so I'm hoping that it's not one of those projects that we'll be talking about a month from now and saying yeah it was troubled wasn't it you know and you could see you know there was too many cooks in the kitchen and there was too many things going on I am looking forward to it but just just a tiny bit worried yeah well look at Boba Fett you know what I mean there's definitely a few uh, there's too many cooks in the kitchen there and Robert Rodriguez should have been thrown out of the kitchen but anytime he touched it every episode that he did I always felt was less than stellar um Guys, we're going to leave it there. That is the end of part one of We Love Movies. But when we come back, we will be reviewing Marvel's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Plus, we'll be looking ahead to some of the big releases that are set to hit cinemas in May. We Love Movies is back shortly. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Hello, and you are very welcome back to part two of We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Joining me is Andy McCarroll, Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey. And we're going to review Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Andy, what's going on now? Because the last time Strange was really struggling with those portals that he opened up to different universes. And of course, that's why we we had the uh, the cabal of different villains in uh, coming into uh, Peter Parker's world. And then, of course, spoiler alert, we also got a few old older Spider-Man, too. So this time out, has Doctor Strange somehow gotten himself stuck in a multiverse is it a complicated scenario in how the these uh, different universes have have come into the fore again? Yeah, it doesn't seem to have any fallout effect from Spider-Man, which I was surprised that we saw at the end. It was kind of all the hints of all the other Spider-Man villains coming through. But the the, the reason for this is there's a new character called Miss Marvel who's going to have her own Disney Plus uh, spin-off show. Uh, America Chavez is her name. This an unfortunate name because you've so many lines of dialogue where you have America's power needs to be controlled. America is the only thing that can save us now, which, you know, I know it's the name of the comics, but maybe, you know, kind of move away from that. If it, it's getting eye rolls in the cinema, she is someone who was able to travel through multiverses and it's her power that has essentially set off the whole chain of events here that Dr. Strange and the multiple Dr. Stranges across the multitude of multiverses has to try and stop the, the threat that's coming through. Oh, wow. Okay. You've got, you managed to wrap it up nicely in a nutshell there, Randy. We'll take a quick clip from it and then we'll come back. I never meant for this to happen. Not control everything. You brought this on yourself. You break the rules and become a hero. 
I do it and I become the enemy. This doesn't seem fair. So there is a little bit from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Olivia, one of the things I'm just a little bit, not saying I'm concerned, but I just don't really, I just don't have the time for it. Do I have to watch all of WandaVision? in order to be brought up to speed with what's going on, because Scarlet Witch features in this. And I'm kind of wondering, do you need to know a good sense of how things play out in WandaVision in order to be able to somehow get on board with this new Doctor Strange? 100% yes. And to listeners who have not watched WandaVision yet, either find a couple of synopses on YouTube where they literally go through the entire series with the main bullet points, or if you have the time, go and watch it now because it is crucial to being able to understand this. So while No Way Home didn't really have any ramifications for what goes on in um, Multiverse of Madness, uh, WandaVision most definitely does. Essentially, a lot of the events that take place in the series are kind of Wanda's motives for joining this adventure essentially so if you want to be able to understand where certain references are coming from and where certain characters are coming from um, you most definitely will need to watch it and unfortunately that's pretty much all I can say on the matter without spoiling either the tv series or the actual film itself but yeah it is unfortunately a, a must watch but it's a very good watch as well so at least you'll enjoy it while you do it. Now, Andy, in terms of the tone of this film, there's been a lot said that this is going to be Marvel's first horror film because Scott Derrickson, who directed the first film, and he's been a mainstay with Blumhouse, like his credentials have, have always really been in the horror genre. When you think of the exorcism of Emily Rose, up the likes of Sinister, and, and then for him to kind of segue into superhero fare, he did seem like a strange choice initially for Doctor Strange. But the fact they were going down a horror route for this new film, he then think, well, you know what? Scott Derrickson looks like he would be uh, one of the, the ideal choices here. But something happened. He decided to part ways and they've brought Sam Raimi in. So a couple of questions for you on this one, Andy. One, I've heard that this might not be suitable for kids under 10. So if anyone does have younger kids, should they be bringing them along to this new Doctor Strange? And two, Sam Raimi, how does he handle Doctor Strange? Because he's been off the boil now for the best part of, God, he's been, I don't think he's made a film since that Oz, the great and the powerful, that horrendous um, Wizard of Oz prequel with James Franco, which I think was nearly something like uh, nine years ago. Yeah, 2013, I think it was, was the last one he'd made before then. He dragged me to hell before then, which is kind of an underrated Sam Raimi movie. The thing with this is there's been so much of, oh, this is going to be, you know, the, the Sam Raimi back in comic book movies. You know, it's going to be a, a Raimi version of this. It doesn't. It's probably the least Sam Raimi film he's ever made. And all the kind of the, you know, the trademark flourishes, you know, things like he had in Evil Dead, where you've got you know, the multiple characters, you know, in different scenes floating up to the screen. It feels very inconsequential. And it seems like something more akin to like a Super Bowl commercial where you see like an out of context clip of Cable Guy and then, all of a sudden, you know, a Verizon or a Dodge logo shows up. It's, it kind of feels like that where they're trying to shoehorn, oh, look, here's a clip from a Sam Raimi film in a Doctor Strange film rather than here's a Sam Raimi Doctor Strange movie. The horror elements, they, they lean into certain aspects of it, but it's something like, remember the Al- Amblem films back in the day where it's kind of 
that level of horror, something like the the Goonies or, you know, the, the house with the clock in its walls more recently, something like that. If you've got very young kids, maybe, yeah, there's a couple of scenes in it, that, a couple of jump scares that might get the better of them. But I think anyone kind of of the Marvel watching age won't be too put out by, uh, by what they see on the screen. And Olivia, you were saying to me off air that um, you really struggled um, after watching this just to really try to figure out what wasn't clicking for you with this film. Can you reveal all or would that be giving too much away? I think I can I can make a stab at it at least. But for me, because so like if for anyone who's read a lot of what we've covered on the, the film before its release on Geek Ireland, you'll know that like for every trailer, every bit of information that's been coming out, we've been dissecting it. And a lot of what was being put out was sort of leading us to believe that it was going in a certain direction and that there was going to be certain links to other TV series and they were going to go and do X, Y and Z. And while they kind of did X, Y, and Z, it turns out to be, you know, EFG sort of style thing. Okay. So it's it's one of those things of what the expectation was and what the reality was ended up being two very different things at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And in some aspects, it was kind of a missed opportunity because why tease us by saying, yes, it's going to have links to these when in reality it really didn't. So in that sense, that it's more, I had a, I think I more had a problem with the marketing of the film as opposed to the film itself, if that makes sense. Andy, just before we get scores out of 10, Benedict Cumberbatch, he seems like he's done no wrong as a character so far. Does he have to do a lot of heavy lifting in this sequel? I think that's actually his worst performance as Doctor Strange. He seems to be hamming this up completely. And it's it's weird because it's Elizabeth Olsen, probably her best performance in any of the Marvel films, including the, uh, the WandaVision series. He does seem like he hasn't got a proper hold on the character because there's so much going on with him on the peripheral on certain scenes. But it just, even things down to like the wig and he gets to play multiple variations of Doctor Strange, it seems like he can't get a full hole in his own film, which seems to be a, a problem that Marvel are having with a lot of the characters lately, specifically Black Widow was the, the same case in point in her film where she felt like she was on the outside looking in of a film that has her name above the title. All right, so let's get scores out of 10 then, Andy. What are you giving us, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? I'm going to give it 6 out of 10. It feels like a missed opportunity. It just seems like the multiverse is kind of neutered any sense of threat rather than delivering a new one because we know what we can jump into this universe and get this person and that person and there's no threat growing by the way Thanos was kind of ever a growing presence during the film I think now is the time to hit the Galactus button and just introduce the next big bad because as at the moment it just seems to be kind of meandering from three out of five to three out of five film without any big arc or anything to build towards oh and for you Olivia out of 10 then for uh for Doctor Strange I clearly may have liked it slightly more than uh, than Andy, but only ever so slightly. So I'd probably give it about a seven. An eight is a very, very, very big push, but a solid seven for sure. I think there's definitely a lot of good in there. I just wish they'd expanded on certain elements a little bit more than they did. And it's definitely something that I think would have suited a WandaVision sequel series more than the film that we ended up with. Okay, thanks for that, guys. That is the big film playing in cinemas this weekend. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Love to get your thoughts on it. Just get onto Twitter and include the hashtag WeLoveMovies. Now we're going to take a look at some of the big films that are coming out in May. First of which is Top Gun Maverick. Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us?
Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. So there's a little bit from Top Gun Maverick. Chris, should we get our hopes high for this film? Uh, Joseph Kaczynski is the director. He's meant to have shot an awful lot of footage for it. But do you think there's an appetite for such a long delayed sequel? Oh, absolutely not. I think the only people who wanted to make this film are, you know, Joseph Kaczynski, Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, you know, McHugh, as, as Cruise calls them, you know, they uh, and Cruise, they, they, they seem to be, you know, uh, bound at the hip now these, these days. You know, everything they do, whether it's the Mission Impossible, well, all they really do is the Mission Impossible impossible films but they just decided at some stage let's make this uh, legacy sequel to top gun i think it, you know judging from all of the footage that we've seen so far i am looking forward to seeing this if only because whenever tom cruise releases a new film like this you know you're going to get something epic you know seeing it on the biggest screen you can find there's going to be at least 10 minutes in there that will be a visual treat you know, like, and, and it's, and it's so nice to kind of see, you know, some, some practical, uh, you know, uh, breathtaking, you know, effects that don't, that doesn't just involve, you know, green screens and, and, and that wasn't all just cooked up on a computer after, after the film was shot. So I'm looking forward to the cinematic experience of Top Gun Maverick, but that sentence is, is a little ridiculous because Top Gun is a film that's not supposed to be taken seriously. And this looks as though it's taking itself very seriously. So best to look to him, you know, he's already off to a good star cruise, that is, in terms of promoting this thing, you know, arriving at the world premiere in a helicopter, you know, telling the world's press that this is a moment. This is the thing. And I think maybe what he's trying to suggest there is that, you know, cinema is back and I'm responsible for bringing cinema back. And, you know, I, I mean, it just it wouldn't be a Tom Cruise film without all of this, you know, hoo-ha around this. So I am looking forward to seeing it, but I just I, I don't expect much, Gordon. Do you expect much from it? Like, I just don't know like what he's going to do that hasn't really been done in the first film. Like I get it that he's become what maybe more of an instructor this time out. Yeah. The, maybe the bit of a, the emotive story is actually going to be with himself and Miles Teller because Miles Teller is supposed to play the son of Goose. And I think for Maverick, there was all, he's always been haunted by Goose's death and feeling somewhat responsible for it. So he might become that surrogate-like father to Goose's son. So that might be the more emotional payoff as opposed to that what seems to be the romantic side of the story with Jennifer Connelly. But that would be the only bit that actually I'm interested in as opposed to all the aerial maneuvers that we're going to see. But yeah, all in all, if I didn't see another Top Gun movie, I, I haven't been waking up in cold sweats looking for one. And I don't know if many people have because the first film what came out in, in 86 you really are hoping that nostalgia um, will do its thing, but it remains to be seen how well it's going to do the box office. But I don't, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if we, if we get a third film. Um, Olivia, just moving on to you. Um, over the month of May, is there anything of note that's coming out that you're looking forward to seeing? Um, well, you mean aside from Obi Wan Kenobi, which I think we've already established that I am giddy with excitement for. Um, I think Stranger Things is going to be an interesting watch because, of course, they announced that they are already on to the penultimate uh, season. Um, with uh, this is season four. Yes, season four. And then season five is going to be the last. So what they've done is they've broken up season four into two parts. So one is going to launch in May, one's going to launch in July, and they're going to be doing the same thing for season five. So it'll be interesting now to see how that split works. I know they've done it for the likes of 
Ozark and another Netflix series, which the name escapes me. Um, but they they clearly are working towards kind of dragging the the buzz out for a lot of the Netflix own um, original series because with the Netflix brand, they because everything goes up at once the buzz does tend to die down after a week or two. Whereas with the likes of Disney Plus, um, for example, Moonlight has been the most recent one that's been airing. That's been on a weekly basis from the get-go. So it lasted for six weeks was the buzz as opposed to the one and a bit, shall we say, for a Netflix series. So I think they're trying to just keep a bit more conversation going with it. So it'll be interesting to see how... A, the series goes in general, but also how they manage that kind of split between the two parts as well. Thanks for that, Olivia. Now, Andy, like May is the, I suppose April is, has become the, the, the month when really the summer season begins. But really, May it has always been its homestead. And Doctor Strange is the film that, that's kind of kicking things off. But is there anything else that's sort of jumping out of the cinema or really should we be really focusing on what's coming to streaming services? There's two things that, well, obviously, apart from Top Gun, I, you know, I'm a Tom Cruise convert. It's the same for the first ten minutes of every Tom Cruise film. I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, you believe in the aliens, the volcanoes," and then he does a somersault off a fighter jet and lands and breaks his ankle. And you know, fair enough, I'm all in. The one that kind of is intriguing me is the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie. If for no other reason, then we'll see the cinematic return of Roger Rabbit. And I thought that trailer was far more entertaining and far funnier than it had any right to be. So that could be my kind of dark horse one for this. But the one I'm most looking forward to is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which just looks like The Matrix on acid. It looks absolutely insane. And finally, we have a a release date coming up for this. So it looks like it's going to be out the, the 13th of this month. We've been trying to get it for for months now, I think it was last, nearly last year when it was first released, but this just looks absolutely bizarre. And it features the return of uh, Jonathan Kwan, who played Short Round in Indiana Jones. And it, it, his first film, I think, in what, 30 years now? So And Data in the Goonies? But, but, exactly. So it, that's just, you can tell I'm into nostalgia. If, you know, the two things I'm most looking forward to is the return of Data from the Goonies and Roger Rabbit. Of all the things that I expected Andy to say there, it wasn't Chippendale Rescue Rangers in terms of what you're looking forward to uh, coming out. Uh, but you're right, that there, there might be a bit of fun to be had there. And also, just to correct you, and this might be an important one for people who are looking forward to everything everywhere all at once, it's actually been released in the UK a week before Irish audiences can see it. So for some reason that I do not have the answer to, it's in uh, UK cinemas on the 13th of May, and I think the Lighthouse and select cinemas around the country are showing it from the 20th of May. So that's something to keep in mind if you're looking forward to it. Because No, I will correct you now, because literally just before we started, the Lighthouse put out a tweet saying they are getting it on the 13th of May. Oh, well, that's... that's... <laughs> uh, News just did. This is the ad for the show. This is... Uh... <laughs> There we go. I have my finger on the pulse here, Chris. You have your finger far from the pulse somewhere else. <laughs> Can I ask you just a bit in terms of the plot for the, that film? Because you mentioned, Andy, it is like the, the Matrix on acid. But uh, Chris, is, the, is this, again, just a big uh, high-kicking action fest? Or is there almost something a little bit more insular with it in terms of like, there's a smaller story at play? I, I know absolutely nothing about it. It's a little bit of a weird one. Um, I kind of want to go in knowing as little about it as possible, but the plot is quite intriguing. I think it involves Michelle Yeoh playing this character who runs a laundromat with her husband, and she is being uh, audited by the IRS. And in the middle of this, you know, intense and uh, uh, an upsetting audit, uh, realizes that there are 
infinite versions of herself and, and and she starts kind of you know stepping in and out of andy can tell me if i'm right here because now i'm afraid of being wrong uh, uh you know she discovers that there are numerous there, there's parallel universes it's basically michelle yeo and the multiverse of madness and that all of her parallel selves have to come together to stop the universe from falling in on itself do i have that right you do indeed it sounds like a far better version of the one and the more i look through the cast you've got jamie lee curtis and you've got like james hong as well who yeah. was low pan and big trouble in little china so this is just it, it just looks like insanity uh what, what i call a liquor movie a film you have two or three points and go and see and have the absolute time of your life this is the one i'm most looking forward to so i'm looking forward to a double bill of that and chippendale rescue rangers Listen, Andy, fair play to you for those two choices there. Everything, everywhere, all at once looks like it's getting um, high praise in terms of the one to watch out for in May. And and Chris, there's one on your list. I don't I know nothing about this one. It's called The Innocence. What's going on here? Uh, yeah, we're getting this in a couple of weeks. It's an international horror film, which I think may have the seal of approval uh, uh, from 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 Stephen King. But certainly anyone who has seen it says that it it, it does kind of exist in that sort of Stephen King ballpark where it's uh, set during this Nordic summer. It's about a group of kids who realize that they have these mysterious kind of superpowers and that's you know their 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 parents don't really know anything about it and the kids kind of meet to see you know what they can actually do with these powers so it's very unsettling quite haunting it's a bit of a supernatural thriller and it's from a writer and director by the name of Esco Vogt and it does seem as though it might be you know the first kind of inventive uh uh you know low-key horror of the summer and hopefully we'll be getting a few of those um and and yeah it has it has piqued my interest anything that looks as though it comes from you know stephen king's brain even though it didn't i'm all in so there we go the innocence i in terms of this month would you kind of sum it up to be like a pretty decent month at the cinema or really are things really going to hot up once we get into june i think it's good i think it's going to be a while before we start to see the real heavy hitters you know the 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 the, the hundred million dollar blockbusters i know we're getting doctor strange this week and i know it's kicking off but certainly looking at the releases of the next couple of weeks we're still getting you know the likes of the innocence we're getting the likes of everything everywhere all, all at once and then we have top going and then there's a couple of weeks of kind of you know smaller uh, uh smaller films although at the same time it is interesting to go into blockbuster season where you know people like myself andy and olivia we're, we're looking forward to you know the things that are slightly left of center that you know aren't just you know the the, the big tentpole fit pictures so you know it's 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 nice going into to, to summer knowing that it's not just going to be you know dominated by vin diesel and marvel but you know what there's still an awful lot of films that have uh, now available to rent and buy and um, scream is out there and paul thomas anderson's licorice pizza it, uh, i'm i can't wait to see that I really hope that that is a return to form. Just as a matter of interest, out of three of you, have you any of you, anyone seen Licorice Pizza? Yeah, I have. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's his best film, but it's one of those films that you just admire as opposed to something that you come away really enjoying. Ah, that'll be on my you know, to-do list now next week. I really want to give that a go. He won the BAFTA for Best Screenplay, which I think took an awful lot of people by surprise that he won that. And we were like, going, oh, I didn't even think he was nominated for the that one. The one thing you'll come away from it as well is that Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid is absolutely phenomenal in that as well. That's right. Yeah, Cooper Hoffman is his name. Yeah, following his father's footsteps. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to, to seeing that. Guys, thanks so much. As always, a pleasure. Andy McCarroll, Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey. For me, Gordon Hayden. We'll do it all again next Sunday from 8, right here on Spin. <laughs>